0: Well, no, 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 no. This is has been a bit of an eye-opener because someone... Well, actually, two separate people said in two separate occasions were just like, uh, right, so you brand yourself as a socialist, blah, 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 blah. But I'm very quick at uh, if I don't like somebody or I don't like what they've said, I'll cut them out of my life or I'll leave or I'll remove them. They were like are you sure you're not a fascist? (laughs) And then then they were, like, going through all this stuff, and I was like, fuck, maybe Maybe. I am.
1: Okay, I mean... So
0: maybe I am not a socialist. I I mean, this is life-changing stuff.
1: I don't think you should take on the strength of two conversations. I mean, a lot of the stuff, like, wanting the workers to, you know... Own the means of production and wanting value to be linked to the goods that are produced, not to the shareholders. All those kinds of things make you a socialist. The idea of yeah. wanting, you know, publicly owned uh, services that are developed for the public good via taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I still, I still all... want
0: that. I still want that to happen. But I want everyone opposed to it to just go away. Okay, well,
1: let's put it this way: you're politically socialist, but on a personal point of view, you are personally fascist. <laughs>
0: Fine. Okay. Shall I put that in my CV? Yeah.
1: Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... I love that you have a pencil and a notepad for these things.
0: Uh, Do you know what? One day I'll send you like what I write down. (laughs) It's loads of nonsense. It's just like dates and people's names. That never come up again. That never come up again.
1: No worries, well, pens at the ready. Pencils. Pencils at the ready, sorry. Standard standard test procedures, complete silence. Mm -hmm. This story takes place in the Tudor era. The early modern. The early modern era, then. Elizabeth of Hardwick was born to her parents, John and Elizabeth Senior, at Hardwick Hall in Derbyshire. I've been there. Oh, good. No later than 1527. We have no idea of the exact date, because... She's a girl, so who cares? It's not like she's gonna, you know, inherit anything. Uh, but we know it was around this time because John Hardwick himself died in late fifteen twenty-seven, and he had had enough time to impregnate his wife again after Elizabeth was born to posthumously produce daughter number five. You make it sound
0: so romantic.
1: What well, posthumously producing? <laughs>
0: Impregnated. Uh,
1: well, I'm trying. They made to be... love and
0: had child.
1: I'm trying not to be crass this early into the episode. That's the thing. Okay, fine. There was, along with the five daughters, a single male heir called James, who stood to inherit all of his father's possessions, and it makes all the sense in the world that Elizabeth Senior would manage the estate until he came of age.
0: Okay. So James is the younger brother of Elizabeth?
1: I believe he was. He would have been the older brother.
0: Oh, right, yeah, sorry, sorry, he sorry. He wasn't
1: the firstborn, but he was the firstborn with a penis, so... You okay know. fine that's the that most was, important
0: thing yes. in in that age
1: yes, however, this was the Tudor era with Henry VIII on the throne, so there was no chance that a woman would be allowed to take on such a task as running an estate and the motorbikers of uh, Glasgow agree <laughs> they <laughs> that was
0: that was well timed yeah. ye ye old Tudor motorbike mm.
1: Yeah, he he was like, There's, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't... I don't know you, and I don't know what your business acumen's like, but, well, you do own breasts, so... It's a no. It's a no from me. We're going to have to sort something out, you know, vis-a-vis um, someone else being the uh, guardian for young James. Yeah. And indeed, there was uh, a legal sort of system in place where instead of women being allowed to take on this role for their sons, Uh, all of the estates became the property of the crown.
0: Okay, that's handy. (laughs)
1: I'll
0: I'll just have that one, that's fine.
1: No, no, not not for good. Little James would become a ward of the king, and nobles could then apply for the title of guardian for a fee. Hmm, okay. Which ensured that the royal coffers were being replenished every time a noble, no matter how minor, died. So it's almost like a bit of an inheritance tax, where it's like, okay... You, you weren't able to, um, you know, stay alive until your son reached, you know, the age of inheritance. So uh, we're going to penalise your entire family for that by basically selling you off to the highest bidder.
0: So you think the amount of money they must have made, the amount of, the amount of estates that were kind of in that position?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, pretty much everything was owned by a network of minor nobles. So you could guarantee you get a couple a year mm. where you'd be able to sell off the, the right of oh, being I- the guardian easily the successful bidder would then be allowed to administer the estate collecting all rents and interest on investments until james came of age at 21 which in james's case was the better part of 19 years away so it was a, a rich plum because you could obviously start skimming off the top saying that well it's costing me to administer you know so it's quite lucrative then oh yeah even better they could also buy the marriage rights of their ward for an extra fee. So if you, if you paid a little bit extra, you should, could also choose who your ward was going to marry, which, again, you could either sell that um, and say, well, if you give me a bit of a kickback, I'll say that my ward has to marry your daughter, or you could marry him into your own family if, you, if that, that was the most lucrative option for you. So
0: corruption has basically been built into British society... Well, yeah. ...forever.
1: It was basically... Sorry, this is
0: pre-Britain, isn't it? This is pre-UK. In English society. English society. Yeah,
1: for- forever. Mm. And you could, you know, you could just use it for that. Um, you could use that marriage to gain a political advantage somehow. You could... financial advantage. It's up to you how you used it. Though there were also shock horror many occasions when the ward would sadly die just days before reaching the age of 21, when they would have taken control, leaving the heartbroken guardian to retain all of the lands and incomes. Mm, that sounds suspicious. Albeit with a heavy heart. Like, well, it is my I'm really sol- sorry
0: I murdered that person.
1: No, it's I'm really sorry that that young, healthy, 20-year-old succumbed to an unfortunate uh, riding accident in which he was beheaded. <laughs> And I I know, and no one witnessed it. Yeah, I know that he would have wanted me to seize all of his lands and titles uh, to add to my own. So cutthroat. Well, this was the thing. I I bet when these guys were turning twenty, it was like never be left alone with your guardian, never you know accept uh, an invitation to go to a remote area of the country.
0: Don't eat what they give you. Don't drink what they give
1: you. (laughs) If they suggest you go out on a fishing trip into the middle of the channel, just say no. Yeah. We've just got to get out of sight of land. The thing is, when you're,
0: when you're young, you probably don't realise that people are out to mm. harm you. I mean, that comes with age and bitterness, that you feel like everyone's against you.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you've had a guardian since you were the age of two, uh, they've probably had a good chance to sort of groom you to trust them to the mm. point where... Yeah, it, this it's, is child abuse, yeah, basically. It would be a surrogate father, wouldn't it? And it would be, mm. oh my word, you mean you weren't looking out for my best interests? Papa would never do that. At the time that James became a ward, the master of wards, because that was another job you could get to get some money, uh, was Sir Thomas Englefield. And he was about to open the bidding when Elizabeth Senior scuppered his plans by quickly getting married to a local man called Ralph. That's a strong name. Uh, Ralph Lesh.
0: That's not English either, surely.
1: Well, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, he could trace his lineage back to the Normans. Mm-hmm because it has a sort of superfluous E at the end, which feels a very French thing to do, just an extra flourish on a word. Yeah, of course. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, Being as how Ralph had a penis, he was obviously able to run things on his new stepson's behalf in a way that James's own mother just simply, she couldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she could. Oh, definitely she could have done, but, you know, she just couldn't. Being brought up in this absurd charade, Elizabeth Hardwick, Jr., realised that Tudor society would treat her according to the man that she was married to, rather than on her own merits. Which left her with a bit of a problem, because although the Hardwicks were definitely nobility, they were minor nobility. To the point that no member of the family had ever, at any point, held an important office or title, or even been invited to attend the king at court. Uh, Heaven forbid... Yeah, they were basically glorified landowners. Okay. And as a result, all Elizabeth Hardwick could offer to a prospective husband was a dowry of 33 quid, and of course an opportunity to produce heirs. Okay. So she was 33 quid in a womb. That was her her offer to the world. Nevertheless, at the ripe old age of 14, and on the urging of her mother and stepfather, she headed to London to see if she could snag herself a marriage proposal. 14?
0: seems so young.
1: Aye, it it does, doesn't it? Mm. Well, she was, you know, probably just happy to, to be able to go off and see the big city. Yeah, the big smog. Yeah, you know, from her roots in Derbyshire, it's probably quite um, an exciting trip to go on. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, you know, every chance that she'd go down there and no one would be interested. And then she could come home having spent, you know, the season going around the balls and all the, you know, revelry of London. So it's the it's summer, isn't it? Yeah, the summer that was. Mm. Uh, Elizabeth needed to travel on a budget, but she's still a minor noble, so I'm not saying she was walking. Uh, <laughs> she, she she would definitely be in a carriage. Uh, she, not uh, a gold one. Oh, no, no, no. Just your standard, you know, wood. Black cab. Probably, probably hard wood. I don't think they put her in MDF or chipboard or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sturdy enough. The roads, because they weren't grey roads at the time. Not, not hard
0: wick. <laughs> See what I did there. I,
1: I I saw what you tried to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just made out of candle wicks,
1: but, all of them. While she could afford to get down there, she couldn't actually afford lodgings in the big city for the entire season. So she was staying with another Derbyshire noblewoman called Lady zoosh Oh, I love that. Who had been a lady in waiting to Anne Boleyn. But it wisely retired from court in 1536 after Anne had lost her head.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go now. Yeah. Bye, guys.
1: I ju- it just... The mood has changed. I, hmm. I don't feel welcome anymore. Yeah. Lady Zouche, who, whose actual name was Nan Gainsford. Okay. And I, I understand why she, she insisted on Lady Zouche. That's mysterious. That's a bit... Ooh. I wonder what... What she's got going on, I wonder what her backstory is. Whereas Nan Gainsford, you imagine, is the local fishwife. Yeah. With a brood of kids, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give yourself more of an exotic standing Mm. in
1: court. But she was apparently willing to lend a hand to all of the minor nobles of Derbyshire when it came to digs. As in her apartments, Elizabeth followed the sound of coughing to find sickly little Robert Barlow. He was about the same age as her and just so happened to be heir to a small fortune.
0: <laughs> OK, right, yeah.
1: Well, I want to be fair to Elizabeth here because she may have been taken by his pale, drawn features. That may have been in vogue at the time. It was very fashionable. But I think it's more likely that she saw an opportunity. And she began acting as a nurse for Robert, who enjoyed her attention immensely, to the point that he was happy to accept the paltry £33 dowry and ask her to become his wife. Mm. Elizabeth got married for the first time, late in 1543, at the age of 16. However, her new husband, Robert, never really recovered from his uh, disease, which was described as a chronical distemper. Okay, what is that? I think it means, we don't quite know, but it's not going away.
0: Okay, he's just a sickly child.
1: It's a catch-all for... We think this is this ain't a bug; it's a feature.
0: To be fair, like how any of us survived—like, however, any any of our um, Tudor ancestors survived—and we are here is nothing short of a miracle.
1: Mm. There was there was a lot to get them, and there wasn't a lot of medicine to help. No, and yet we're all survivors from them. But he he never felt well enough, hale and hearty enough to uh, consummate the marriage before he died in early 1544. Mm. Nevertheless, it was still agreed that Elizabeth was entitled to a third of his estates for life. Nice.
0: No, for life. Nice. Yeah,
1: she was getting a third of his estates, which is a lot better than the £33 she started out with. Mm, so she invested yep. and she's going she's gonna to cash in. Good on her. Though when I say agreed, it was agreed that this was probably the legal position. Mm. But it would require nearly a decade of legal wrangling on Elizabeth's part before it was confirmed in a court of law, and she actually received the money.
0: That's dedication. Ten years of... I mean, I suppose you would, wouldn't you, if you were going to gain something from it.
1: And it was initially a hindrance, because mm. obviously the, the dowry had gone as well, so... Oh,
0: uh, yeah, because obviously it becomes part of the husband's property. Mm.
1: So she's she's now uh, looking Skin. for another husband, still only 16... And she's got no dowry to offer. She's only got those childbearing hips of hers to offer. Has she,
0: has she got her looks?
1: She had looks. She was considered quite a beauty, yes. Mm-hmm. But all of this adversity, it taught Elizabeth Hardwick two very important lessons. Mm-hmm. Firstly, that as long as she could argue something was true forcefully enough, then it could be made to be true. And secondly, that possession has, and always will be, nine tenths of the law in England. Mm, still is. She was in the middle of learning these lessons when she met husband number two. Cool. With a slight blockage in her cash flow, Elizabeth had temporarily taken a position as lady-in-waiting to Francis Grey. It was while with the Grey family, and possibly while babysitting a ten-year-old Lady Jane Grey...
0: Oh, I always feel so sorry for Lady Jane Grey.
1: Well, at this point, she's just a fresh-faced youth... Um, uh, it was only
0: four years. How I don't know. How, how old was she when she started Like fourteen. She was.
1: Was she fourteen or fifteen? She. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Jesus. So, so I should say babysitting a nearly dead ten-year-old lady Jane Grey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Elizabeth was introduced to the influential Sir William Cavendish.
0: Oh, the Cavendishes aren't they a
1: Derbyshire family? Uh, well, we'll get into it. They didn't start out as a Derbyshire family. Okay. They started out as an Essex family. Okay. It didn't matter to Elizabeth that he was from Essex, nor did it matter that she was just turning twenty and he was forty-two, nor that he had already had two wives who had produced three daughters, nor that the oldest of these daughters was the same age as her, nor that he appeared to have modelled his body on Henry VIII himself, from whom he had made his fortune during the dissolution of the monasteries, being as how he was a large, fat, ginger man with a tiny mouth that appeared incapable of smiling. What a catch! He was a catch, because mm. appa-
0: financially.
1: Financially, but apparently he was also actually just a very nice fellow. Oh, good. He was a good companion, and he was a kind man too. A Elizabeth. jolly, a jolly gent. Yeah, but she didn't know any of this at this particular moment. She was just looking at the cash, and it didn't mm-hmm. matter that he had made so much money. Whilst administering the dissolution of the monasteries, that many people openly accused him of manipulating the accounts to line his own pockets.
0: I mean, I would probably do the same, yeah. to be honest. They
1: were like, "You, you could not have come into that amount of money legally." Okay, mm, we don't. Be- yeah. we don't believe you.
0: But I mean, look at what's happening now with like tax hiding, tax and and and, and not paying it. It's definitely still happening now.
1: Yeah, no, it is definitely. But I mean. He didn't particularly care because it wasn't like any of these people making these accusations could do anything about it.
0: I'm a Cavendish, god damn you.
1: And he had managed as well to negotiate the transition from Henry VIII to Edward VI quite well because he'd actually been promoted to Treasurer of the Chamber, where he was currently overseeing the wealth of the entire nation on behalf of the young king.
0: By Edward, yeah.
1: Yeah. So Edward was told probably by, you know probably by him himself, probably by Cavendish himself, that, mm. oh, you, your dad trusted me with all the money, and, you know, I could I could do the same for you if you wanted. There's you this should... position here. Mm. I promise you'll, you'll end up with more than you started with. Mm. The couple got married at 2am on August the 20th, 1547. Why 2am? <laughs> I couldn't figure out why. The book that I read, it mentioned that this happened at 2am and that there were, you know, witnesses, but it didn't... It didn't say that this happened because there were, you know, people who were ready to try and wreck it or because he wanted to keep it secret. It just seems like, you know, it's like, I simply must have you now.
0: Maybe like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it's all speculation, isn't it? We
1: don't know. We do, we do not know. We do not know. But Elizabeth was happy with the 2am wedding because Fine. it meant that she could get to work on securing her newfound fortune.
0: Okay, so she's already got the money from the chap before.
1: Not yet. She's arguing yet. for that money
0: still. And oh yeah, because she's only sixteen at this point.
1: But what she's learnt from that is that even if she's got uh, sort of um, an agreement based on the marriage in writing, that mm. can be argued in a court of law. And she needs something a bit more tangible than okay. than that uh, in order to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen if Wobetide her lovely Willie. Uh, dies young, well, mm-hmm. relatively young. I mean, he's already forty-two at this point. Yeah. So I she's, mean, she's 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 it is the a Tudor lesson. times
0: though. Yeah.
1: She secured her future okay. by convincing her new husband to sell all of the properties he had amassed in the south of the country, and instead to invest in land and estates in her home county of Derbyshire. They ended up buying around fifteen thousand acres of land. Jesus. Which, for scale, because I always get confused with acres. It's roughly the size of Manhattan Island in New York.
0: Isn't like an acre, uh, like a football pitch size? That's how I always think about it. I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that is because I've looked at this before. I'm uh, pretty sure, like a football pitch, okay, is so like fifteen
1: thousand football pitches, or the size of Manhattan Island, which is a substantial thing to. have. I hand. mean, it's
0: pretty large, yes.
1: And at the heart of this mini empire was a place called Chatsworth.
0: Yes, 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 yes. We all know Chatsworth. Mm. Very stunning now.
1: And this is where the twist is, because cannily, all of the land and properties that were bought in Derbyshire were signed for in both William and Elizabeth's names. Ah, oh, OK. So not just the male line. Which meant that if William were to die first, and he was 20 years older than her, mm. and drinking four pints of wine a day whilst eating nothing but meat and flavoured butter, while spending his <laughs> night smoking and gambling... So not not the lifestyle of someone you'd expect to get very far into their old age, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. enjoying himself, though, immensely. Good. And he was a jolly chap. And he was a jolly chap. And even with all that, he wasn't a mean drunk. He was a very gregarious and happy-go-lucky mm-hmm. kind of drunk. Loving drunk. But it did mean that Elizabeth would retain control of all the estates until an heir came of age, because they were hers by possession, you know. Possession, okay. nine-tenths of the law. People would have to argue why she couldn't retain mm-hmm. possession rather than her arguing why she should take possession.
0: Clever. Clever, clever, clever.
1: Now, if Elizabeth was a modern woman when it came to having an even say in business, she was traditional in the sense that she was happy to produce heirs. Mm-hmm. And over a decade, she was pregnant eight times with six of the children surviving infancy. With Cavendish? With, they had a lovely marriage. Everything that I read about it said that this was... Her, She was very happy with Cavendish. They had what seemed like a very respectful, loving marriage. They were partners in business, which wasn't normal for mm. a husband and wife at the time, so overtly at least. So it all seemed to be really, really good.
0: Which is ironic because the Cavendishes were later, like later on down the line, mm. were seen as awful people who treated people terribly
1: well, it just goes to show that, you know, it, as the generations go on, you can't just trust that somebody's going to live up to the ideals of their ancestors. No,
0: definitely not. Yeah. I mean, you see people's, like, parents and their children, they can be chalk and cheese, can't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, I mean, your parent could be, I don't know, monarch of the country, and the son could be a, a paedophile. Mm. These things happen. Absolutely, Yeah. Yeah. Their first child, though... Do you
0: know what? I, just, I literally just got that. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. I was like, hmm, I wonder who he's... Ah, uh, right, got it. Got it.
1: Their first child, Elizabeth and Williams, was born in 1548. A little girl called Frances, who would go on to marry an MP. Okay. Although, because it wasn't a noble MP, or a particularly good noble MP, it was seen as a step down. Her first son, however... An official heir to the new Derbyshire estates was Henry, born in 1550. Henry Cavendish. Mm. Elizabeth, having learned the art of politics from her new husband, chose the half-sister of the king as godparent. Okay. Possibly to curry favour in the future, or possibly just because she was another Elizabeth.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: At Chatsworth, Elizabeth was the driving force behind the building of a brand new Grand Hall. The plans were extravagant, and would take 18 years to complete, which Elizabeth reassured her husband would be well worth the wait. Okay. And she, she apparently micromanaged all of the design. She she had final say on all of it. She chose the builders and the contractors and made sure they only got the the people who were considered, you know, the most in vogue at any given time to do so all of the different works. She
0: would have given Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen a run for his money.
1: Yeah, she she really was very interested in the architecture and, you know, William, he was happy to just let her do her thing and go ahead and gamble and drink and eat butter. So he was was happy with that. Fine. It worked. Yeah, and like I've said, their marriage appeared to be genuinely happy, so whatever system they'd worked out, going perfectly. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that Elizabeth would have grown old and content with William at Chatsworth if the overindulgent Sir William Cavendish hadn't decided to die... On Sunday, October twenty fifth, fifteen fifty seven, between eight and nine p.m. in the evening, at the These age are very specific of specific fifty two, mm. they were able to. Again, he was a man, and he was a powerful man. So whereas she was born, meh, probably, probably fifteen twenty seven, he was born. You know, they know the exact second, and they mm-hmm. know pretty much to the minute when he died. What
0: time were you born? I have no idea. Do
1: you not know? No. Not I was interested. born
0: at, like, 7-something p.m., hmm. which is my birthday, only lasts for a few hours, which is crap.
1: Well, no, you'd get to celebrate it the entire day, don't no worry well about No, I know, but
0: technically, like, you only have a, like, portion <laughs> of the day.
1: This left Elizabeth a widow for the second time, albeit a very rich widow this time, mm-hmm. at only 30 years old.
0: It's tough though. I say it's tough. I mean it's it's nice to cry in a big mansion, isn't it, rather than a
1: Well it would be. Non big mansion. But the very rich caveat had to be immediately dropped as it was discovered that William had in fact been in debt to the tune of over five thousand ah, pounds. Which so was, that had to yeah. be paid. It was a literal fortune in fifteen fifty seven. So all of that was like how did you do how did you do with your gambling? He was like, Oh, you know me yeah, you know, just <laughs> non-committal answers. Well, you win some, you lose some, Elizabeth. You know what it's like. I lost a lot. <laughs> no, he, he never came clean to her. Maybe on his deathbed, he's like, "Don't check the accounts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Think well of me." I always thought that. Like, say, I mean, obviously, I I never wish to be in this position. But if you're if you're married and your partner dies for whatever reason, mm. I'd be terrified to find out something like that. that. Yeah, or just anything, like that like people could just turn up and you'd be like, I literally had no idea. Like the mad. second
1: family arrive. What Yeah, here
0: yeah, well, it's not it's not unheard of, is it? Mm,
1: it's not. The other problem was, whereas, you know, Edward he'd been a happy go lucky kind of king, he quite liked Cavendish and the family and he thought they were doing a bang up job. Queen Mary was on the throne at this point. Oh no! And she was very keen to force Elizabeth to settle the debt by selling off all of the estates she had bought with her husband, including the half-finished house at Chatsworth. But the court system in Tudor England, as Elizabeth had learned, was a very slow beast. And Elizabeth was determined to use this to her advantage, stretching every deadline as far as possible and generally obstructing the process in the hopes that something would come up to improve her situation so she was like okay I've got a chance to appeal what's the very final day I can put that appeal in right yeah. we're, we're gonna be handing it in at 10 to midnight on that day Fine. you know and just she plays a long game yeah that that with everything and just oh I, I don't have those details for you now you'll have to give me an extra couple of weeks to go and check through the accounts to find that for you mm. just in any way that she could obstruct the process she she was just playing for time and hoping for some kind of, you know, miracle to, to occur. This proved to be a very shrewd move, as Mary conveniently died in November 1558 and was replaced by the godmother of her firstborn son.
0: Yes!
1: And, you know, in keeping with the idea that she was a godparent, Elizabeth decided that she wasn't going to make uh, her godson uh, destitute and out on the streets, mm-hmm. and she forgave the debt in its entirety...
0: She wiped it off.
1: And, as an extra sort of sweetener, made Elizabeth of Hardwick one of her Mm ladies-in-waiting. This not only provided the financial security she'd been looking for, but also offered the perfect position from which to snare husband number three. Okay. Because she's in the prime of her life now.
0: Well, she's only 30-odd, isn't she?
1: Yeah, 32, if she's a Mm. day. I've not even
0: been married once, Mm. and I'm 35 soon.
1: Yeah, come on. I know, I'm you're slacking, gonna, aren't gonna I? am slacking i am going to have to get a couple of quickie Vegas weddings in there to try and keep up with old Bess. Mm, yeah. The man she settled on was Sir William St. Lowe, a man so bland and boring that even his coat of arms is literally a black band on a white background.
0: <laughs> yes, that would do.
1: He held two titles, both Captain of the Guard, which is quite cool, mm-hmm. and... Chief butler of all England. Okay, does that
0: mean he has to, like, wait on everyone?
1: I wonder if it just means that he he was the butler to Queen Elizabeth, and therefore... You the know, butler to the everyone. Chief, the chief butler, because he was the butler to the, the Queen, so all other okay. butlers were shit compared to him. <laughs> He'd reached the, the top of the buttling pina- world. The pinnacle. Yeah, no-one buttled harder than he did. <laughs> But more importantly for Elizabeth, he had huge, huge tracts of land.
0: Okay, fine. Yeah.
1: Elizabeth was able to continue work on Chatsworth, and as an added bonus, St. Lowe was rarely allowed to leave court due to his duties, meaning that the relationship was far more about St. Lowe funding Elizabeth's lifestyle than it was about spending time together. Oh, that's the dream. And she she would, you know, she was like, well, can you not come all the way up to Derbyshire? To spend some time with us. And he's like, you know, Elizabeth wants me around in case bottling needs to happen. (laughs) And I am
0: the head of all of them.
1: I suppose I can go another month without seeing you.
0: Please send £200.
1: Yeah, the builders need paying again. I thought you finished. Yeah, well, there's some space that could be zhuzhed up. Uh, I'm Mm. getting some stonemasons in to really make make the entranceway pop. I wanted
0: an uh, extension. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You've just you've just had an extension. I want another one.
1: Yeah. The first extension looked so good, I wanted to mirror it, mirror it on the other side of the house so it's nice and even. Mm-hmm. I can't have an asymmetrical house. Come on. You Heaven know me. Heaven forbid. Naturally, she was also able to convince him to make her the main beneficiary of his will, with most of his lands and incomes reverting to her after he died. When this was added to the incomes from her first husband and the estates of her second... This had the potential to make her the second richest woman in the country behind only the Queen herself.
0: Ooh, competition.
1: Mm. Yeah. The contents of the will were not common knowledge, and they were definitely not known by St Lowe's younger brother, Edward. Okay. Who assumed that as the next male heir, he would be getting all of the things and stuff.
0: <gasps> okay.
1: All the so he just. Knuckles.
0: Assumed because he was a male relative. Yeah, and he, he would is, take it all.
1: He is the quintessential spoilt cad of a younger brother as well, is Edward. Mm, fuming. He'd managed to make a little bit of money in a scam with a woman by the name of Mrs. Scutt. Okay. She was in her 20s and had managed to get married to the very, very wealthy 90-year-old Mr. Scutt. <laughs> Though, who knows what he saw in her? This yeah. young, nubile, 20-year-old woman. But Hugh Hefner. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I picture. I imagine that Mr Scott was constantly wearing, you know, like a velvety a velvety sort of um, dressing gown. The thing is, though,
0: I mean, like, if you get to that age and then you've got people, like, throwing themselves at you, you'd be like, fine. I, it's for my money. <laughs>
1: like, I get that, but, but I, I spent a lifetime but... earning it. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging Mr. Scott here. Although I don't think he had the best choice, because as soon as the marriage had been consummated and the will had been verified by a lawyer, Mr. Scott conveniently died.
0: I mean, that was probably going to happen anyway.
1: Mm, but it was heavily suspected that he'd been poisoned. Oh. And that Edward had been the poisoner.
0: Oh, they could have just waited a couple more years, do you know what I mean? Like...
1: Who wants to wait? And plus, you know, I
0: want it now, Daddy.
1: This was a time before there was any reliable tests for most poisons. So, like you say, he'd been in his 90s. So yeah. even if people sort of pointed out, I think there was some funny business, it's like he was a 90-year-old man, mm-hmm. nightly having long sessions of lovemaking with a 20-year-old. Yeah. I think I know what caused his heart to give out.
0: How could he perform at that age? It's good for him.
1: Yeah. Mm. This was before Viagra as well. He he wasn't on no performance enhancing drugs.
0: <laughs> this is all natural.
1: I mean the argument that um you know Edward had put been a poisoner it was probably strengthened by the fact that literally a few weeks later Edward and Mrs Scott got married. Ah oh, okay. Thus making Edward ipso facto the um person with all the money because he oh. took all of the you know the possessions of his wife at the point of marriage. So he'd uh, managed to honeypot a 90-year-old man.
0: Do you reckon that was their plan the whole way? But then she wouldn't have benefited benefited from that, would she?
1: Well, I, I imagine she was a lover of Edward, and Edward came up with this ruse and said, well, if you love me, you will come on to this old man, marry him, and then we've got enough money debt. to start. No, it's not his dad. This is just a random old
0: bloke. Oh, no, sorry. Okay, fine. Okay, I yeah. thought there was some Jeremy There was Carl no There was no incestuousness.
1: On. And he was like, "You know, I'm the younger brother, and I'm not going to inherit any- anything until, you know, my older brother dies. So we need some ready money. We need now. some money, yeah." Of course, as far as uh, Mrs. Scott was concerned, well, now Mrs. Saint Lowe, that was the end game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, however, Edward's end game, as within two months the former Mrs. Scott was also dead, <sighs> probably from poison.
0: Ah, oh, so he'd allegedly killed the old man and then taken the money by marrying the lover. And then then getting rid
1: of the lover so so that he was then free, single and ready to mingle with the bank balance to back it up. Uh, Fine. How to become a rich playboy in two easy steps, basically. Mm -hmm. Can I do that now? Uh, You probably get caught because poison is very, very detectable these days. Oh, god damn you. So, Edward... He's got his money, but easy come, easy go. And he quickly spent pretty much the entire fortune that he'd swindled. Yeah. And in 1561, apropos of nothing, he decided to visit his brother in London. Okay. During this visit, both William St. Lowe and Elizabeth, they fell seriously ill. Can you imagine Mm. such a thing? Yes. Naturally, given the history, the blame was laid at the feet of a random neighbour called Hugh Draper who was sent to the Tower of London on charges of sorcery.
0: <laughs> because
1: Witchcraft! Again, again, this is Tudor England.
0: Well, this is before, like, the
1: whole
0: like witch hunt of the witches and the Pendle witches and oh, all
1: that. Be- it's before James got it really kicked into high gear, but there was still, mm. you know, you could still be accused of sorcery. The thing is, back before James, it was kind of, uh, it was custodial offence, but it was nothing that you were going to be um, killed for. It wasn't a capital offence. Hmm. It was like, oh, God, well, you're going to spend a year in prison and be told very sternly not to do it again.
0: Please do not put a spell on these people.
1: Yeah, though um, he was released uh, after it became clear that both of the victims would survive because I think his argument was, well, either I'm a really shit sorcerer, in which case there's no reason to hold me. I'm not going to hurt anyone particularly or I wasn't sorcering and you got the wrong end of the stick there. So they quietly let him out of the tower. Yeah. Sorry about that. I don't think he got compensation. Poor old Hugh Draper. Hmm. Unfortunately, although they didn't die at the time, William St Lowe's health never fully recovered. And he did eventually die in 1565, leaving Elizabeth Hardwick, a widow, for the third time at the age of only 38.
0: I mean, I would start putting the blame on her, you know. I'd be like, hmm suspicious.
1: Um, I'd, um, I'd, I'd agree if, you know, the first husband hadn't already been very sickly. Yeah. And he was a very minor noble. You know, she was. it was very small beer. What well, If it was a scam she hadn't exactly set her sights very high with him. Did she
0: have any children with number three?
1: Uh, no. So she only
0: had children with number two, the girl that she really loved, the fat, jolly, yeah, her, cavendish.
1: Yeah, her, her husband. I think of him as her husband. The husband, yeah. yeah. And the others were all just means Footnote. to an end yeah. yeah she probably took some pleasure at the will reading in Edward discovering that he had been disinherited while she was receiving a yearly income of around £1,600 in their money which in today's money was around £13 million.
0: Oh, can you imagine
1: mm, and that's added on to the fortune that she got from her second husband one and, and the money from number one and all of the land holdings that were constantly making money Uh you know, and all of the property that she had as well. So
0: she basically owned Derbyshire, is what we're saying.
1: It, You can make an argument that she basically owned Derbyshire at this point, yeah. Mm. And of course, even though, you know, she was getting a little bit older, maybe it was starting to show. I don't want to be mean or say that women can't be beautiful past a certain age, but... Oh, it happens to <clears> us <throat> all, doesn't
0: yeah. it? We, um, we start to look older and are... Our- like, youth is very attractive. Mm. And what what is it that... um, What's that famous line? Youth is wasted on the young. Mm.
1: Well, it's amazing, but even when the youthful looks are starting to fade, being the second richest woman in the country made her one of the most desirable marriage prospects in England.
0: I mean, I would have married her. Mm. Mm.
1: But it also made her both the target of gossip and the only woman who could potentially rival Queen Elizabeth herself. Yeah. And Queen Elizabeth herself, she was watching, with interest.
0: Of course she was, yeah.
1: And potentially, because, you know, she did have that streak to her personality, she was looking for a way to put Elizabeth Hardwick back in her place.
0: Okay. Bit of jealousy, a bit of rivalry going on here. Mm. I'm the Queen, not you, goddammit. I remember saying at school when we went to... Um, Uh, the Tower of London and I kept calling it the Bloody Tower and I was just so excited that I could say Bloody Tower without getting in trouble. (laughs) I'd be like, Bloody Tower! Bloody Tower!
1: (laughs) They knew what you were doing but it's like, technically he's correct.
0: Yeah, exactly. The
1: best kind of correct. Mm. Well, in 1568 it appeared that Elizabeth Hardwick had amazingly managed to find an upgrade on her husband yet again. This time it was George Talbot, better known as the Earl of Shrewsbury, Okay, right. The combined lands and properties would make them the premier power couple of England, and they ensured the union by not only getting hitched themselves, but by having two of George's kids from previous marriages married to two of Elizabeth's kids from hers. Okay, fine. So it was a three-way wedding. Okay. Bess, one of her daughters and one of her sons, married George, one of his daughters and one of his sons, all at the same time.
0: Oh, well, I suppose it cut down on costs. Not that they needed to, no, at but all.
1: No, y- that's how you stay rich. Uh-huh. You, don't, you yeah. don't get rich by throwing your money away. You have to account for every penny. No, exactly. Though George appeared to have had some affection for Elizabeth at the start of the marriage, she clearly saw it more as a business partnership. Mm-hmm. answering his lovesick letters from court by complaining about a lack of building supplies and accusing him <laughs> of buying substandard wine. Is she still building um, Chatsworth at this point? I think she's finished Chatsworth at this point, but okay. she's, she's always got a building project on the go. Mm-hmm. That's the thing to remember. She's never satisfied. Mm. Because styles change quite quickly. Mm-hmm. In terms Bigger, of, better. Yeah. You know, what was once the style, by the time she finished building a house, that was no longer the Invoke style, so obviously she needed to build another house to reflect the changing styles. Mm-hmm. But I love the you've, you've bought substandard wine, George. <laughs> what the hell am I supposed to do with this swill? This is unacceptable. I can't serve this to our fancy guests at my fancy house.
0: <laughs> One of my many fancy houses. We pretty much own the Midlands now.
1: But any attempt at romantic wooing on the part of George was well and truly scuppered by Queen Elizabeth herself, who decided that what the newlyweds needed to help their relationship was a long-term houseguest. A six-foot-tall, 26-year-old Scottish queen, no less. Okay. Because late in 1568, having spent some time in Carlisle Castle and Bolton Castle, Mary, Queen of Scots, was placed in the custody of the Shrewsbury's, where she would remain for the next 16 years. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you need to watch this person. Mm.
1: They definitely had the space to accommodate her, moving Mary between their many properties on 46 separate occasions.
0: So Mary was, in, like, effectively in prison.
1: In... Yeah, she was under house arrest. I mean, I can think
0: of worse places to be.
1: Well, it was just a tour of um, all of the properties owned by Shrewsbury and by um, Elizabeth.
0: Maybe she quite enjoyed it.
1: Well, maybe... But every time they wanted to move her, they had to go through the rigmarole of going to London and asking the Queen formally if they were allowed to move Mary to a new location. So it was just... So every time they
0: moved, they had to take her with her?
1: Yeah, they had to be custodians and any time that they wanted to do that, they first had to go to London and get permission from the Queen to do it. And then she might have some stipulations about who could visit and different bits and bobs about what currently... Because, you know, the, the amount that Elizabeth was worried by Mary sort of waxed and waned over the years. So sometimes she'd be like, oh, yeah, do whatever you want. And then if she was in a particularly paranoid mood, it'd be, no, you can't move her there. You need to move her actually as far away as possible. Like? And they'd have to go and sort of facilitate that.
0: Were they having to fund Oh, yeah, they funded Mary Elizabeth. as well.
1: And they also had to seek approval for their own travel plans from the Queen. And if they wanted to have guests to stay with them, and if they wanted to change the furnishings in the house or castle that Mary was currently staying at. Okay. So basically, the Queen was micromanaging their estates via the... Uh, you know, she had this reason to do it. Mary was a reason for her to be getting all up in the business.
0: Yeah, because it just seems... if she, it, Well, if, if um, Bess is the um, second richest mm. person then obviously that's gonna get you back up you'll be like Mm. and they're two women yeah it it was
1: a power play it was okay you may technically have almost as much money as me but look what i can force you to do i can say no you're not allowed to buy new cushions Mm. and you've got to do it because i'm the queen i'm the
0: boss here
1: so shut up and deal with your scabby cushions
0: (laughs) take your midlands
1: Though they did occasionally receive some money for Mary's upkeep, it was definitely not enough to cover costs. Mm. And there was constant polite wrangling with the Queen over an increase in the allowance in line with Mary's expensive tastes. Because the other thing to remember is it wasn't just one Queen who was manipulating them at all times. Mary Queen of Scots was constantly pushing boundaries and trying to get other things and trying to manipulate them and do all of this stuff.
0: So, yeah, because she was still a crowned queen. Wasn't yeah, she? yeah, and so... she decided
1: she was worth the best. And although she was technically under house arrest, she was like, well, yes, but you, but you my have to status... give me I want. Yeah,
0: my status trumps yours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting.
1: And as if the inconvenience and the cost was not enough, Mary seemed singularly ungrateful for the effort that the Shrewsbury's were going to. And she kept trying to escape.
0: <laughs> How... Very rude.
1: Yeah, a plot in 1670 was going to have her climbing out of a window at Chatsworth House with the support of some disaffected servants that she had agreed to raise to the noble classes if the uh, plan came off and she somehow managed to gain control <laughs> of the uh, of the country. So I, I think she was I mean, just Mary, using them to be fair.
0: Mary Queen of Scots was not very popular in Scotland either at the time. No, because she was um,
1: essentially French.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and she was like catholic
1: and, and she'd had that husband who was known to be a shit and everyone hated uh, yeah the gay one it wasn't because of his sexual predilections i don't believe it was because he was just he was a just a, a shit. nasty
0: piece of work and then she they they she was suspected in like the blowing up of the house and him <laughs> being killed just, and it i was don't all...
1: want this anymore i need yeah. this to
0: end Please, just get rid of him, mm. but I mean to, uh, to be fair like i mean he was a he was a brute mm. he um he had that David Rizzio killed in front of her, who was like he he was like a gay artisan or bisexual artisan that was like an artist and and stuff, and used to hang around with them all the time and then um it uh, Mary Queen of Scots, so it was like her best pal. And then he, um, like Darnley, had them had him murdered in front of her
1: yeah. while I'm she was her Only friend.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the ironic thing is that Rizzio and Darnley were having an affair as well. Oh, well, so... that's
1: self-preservation. It's like mm. I'm going to tell her the fuck you are. Mm. Yeah,
0: exactly. I think she knew
1: just just was... before you go and tell her. Uh, come and see my new knife collection. <laughs>
0: no i think what they tried to do is they tried to because she was pregnant at the time so mm. they were trying to they were trying to like make her miscarry
1: uh-huh. um
0: by doing it in front of her so she was so like shocked so that um he could then
1: little baby james wouldn't come out
0: yeah and then eventually mary would die and then lord darnley would become king in his own right
1: yeah yeah uh, and that did not work out. It did not work out for him. I mean, it was an audacious plan, and mm. fair play to him for the blue sky thinking that went into it, but. Mm.
0: Apparently, he was a bit dreamy, though. He was an arsehole, but apparently, he was very good looking.
1: Mm.
0: Well, not that that makes any of his actions any better. no We should forgive
1: him all of this because he had those lovely. He had baby such
0: blues. a. Look at those thighs, those calves.
1: Oh, you can murder me any time. <laughs> but when the plots were inevitably foiled, Mary would write letters to Queen Elizabeth, claiming that the Shrewsbury's were insulting her behind her back and trying to ruin their standing at court by any means possible. So as, as a sort of petty little punishment for catching her in the act, Mary would send snipey little letters to court saying, they're, they're saying mean things about me and they don't feed me right. And also the dicks, I really can't stand them. <laughs> I can imagine she
0: wasn't allowed to practice her faith either, was she?
1: However, ruining the standing at court was a job that Elizabeth was more than capable of doing herself, thank you very much. She's an independent woman, she doesn't need help. Mm. Because while Mary was trying to plot to have herself placed on the throne, Elizabeth Hardwick had begun taking the longer view. Feeling secure in her own status, she wondered if she might not be able to engineer a situation where one of her successors could one day sit on the throne of England. What... She had one remaining unmarried daughter, Elizabeth Junior Junior, who she realised she could marry off to Charles Stuart, the first cousin of Mary, Queen of Scots, and thus a man with a good claim to the throne in his own right. This claim will pass on to any grandchildren that might come from the Union, and may lead to a Hardwick being able to sit on the throne in the near future.
0: I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the Stuarts were basically Tudors, weren't they? They're all descended from Henry VII. Mm. All of them.
1: It's just a different branch of the same thing, yeah. Yeah. But she's, she's going, well, I'm, I'm not stupid. You know, I'm, by this time, in my late 40s, I'm not going to be able to get myself on the throne. And I, to be fair, I've done pretty well from mm. where I started. But I may be able to make it so that one of my, you know, one of my sort of, not children, but grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, is able to to take that position.
0: She likes the long game, doesn't mm. she? She's good.
1: Yeah, she's, she's slow and steady. She'll she'll spend 18 years building a house and then she'll start building another one. And she'll she be like, no, it's all wrong. It's taking all wrong. the time to get things right. Realising that even the marriage itself could be seen as a challenge to Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hardwick chose to forget to ask for her royal permission. She also forgot to inform her husband of the plan.
0: Okay. So <laughs> rookie she, error. So she's basically just going solo. I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not.
1: Yeah, well, she knew that they'd say no. So she's like, rather than have to deal with them saying no and then me doing it anyway... I can just claim, you know, forgetfulness. Understand oh, me old age. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting on now. I'm in my 40s. You can't expect me to remember to inform the Queen, even though I have to tell her every time I move or have guests. <laughs> yeah. Understandably, Queen Elizabeth was not pleased, to the point that the mother of the groom immediately ended up in the Tower of London, a fate Elizabeth avoided by refusing a summons to London until everything had calmed down. <laughs>
0: Uh, Queen Elizabeth I uh, requires you in London. No. Yeah,
1: I'm in Chatsworth.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, darling. You're in my hood now. Yeah. Be gone.
1: I've I've really got to remodel the interior and tell her I could be with her in two, three years, maybe.
0: If I'm not busy that day.
1: The marriage produced a daughter called Arbella, who became the focus of Elizabeth's politicking from that moment on. She managed to alienate her husband and the Queen, all in the vain hope of finding a route for Arbella to the English crown. And inevitably, when, you know, a parent, a grandparent or a guardian tries to mould a child into something, Arbella grew to resent her grandmother and eventually refused to even speak to her. So that backfired. Well, yeah, because, you know, you've got to imagine, she was basically she took Arbella to live at Chatsworth and she was like, no, I'm going to raise you you're going to be my protege and mm. at first it was like oh this is great i can have everything i want you know i'm i'm a spoiled kid and then it was oh wait i'm not actually allowed to make a decision get
0: stifling
1: yeah and she was like no i'm not i'm not having this i don't i don't want to be queen it was i think it was that moment i don't want to be queen because the last young girl who tried to just mm. take the throne lost her head yeah it didn't work out well for her did it no no it did not by the time Mary Queen of Scots was finally entrusted to another keeper in 1585, the Shrewsbury's were living apart. Elizabeth had abandoned Chatsworth and returned to her family home at Hardwick Hall. Being as she was a woman of independent means, she immediately began rebuilding the old hall to be more in keeping with her tastes. Mm-hmm. Mary Queen of Scots, yeah. if, if her time with the, the Shrewsbury's hadn't been great, her time with her new keeper was even worse because she was executed in 1587 with George Talbot being the man to give the final order to the executioner. Which he probably got a little bit of a... bit of kick out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like the place settings at dinner, do we? (laughs) Well, now this is happening.
0: I don't like your neck!
1: (laughs) God, I could have come up with a better insult, but she's dead now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you only get one shot at those and I was stupid. Stupid, Was it Mary,
0: Queen of Scots, that wore a wig? We've had this conversation before, you, wasn't it? You told
1: it? me it was Mary Queen, Queen of Scots who wore a wig, so they yeah. tried to lift her head. Yeah, they it couldn't. Rolled. Yeah, and she's, there's also the story that her little dog was um, hidden in her skirts. Who,
0: does she wear red as well? as like a Catholic martyr? Was that her?
1: Probably. All of these things are probably true. She she mm. wore a massive perm wig, like um, people pretending to be scousers wear on a night out. she had a dog under her skirts and I believe it was a Little Terrier but for the purposes of this it was a Great Dane she was smuggling and she was wearing a red dress and I mean the most floofy over the top RuPaul Drag Race-esque dress
0: I bet she looked fabulous
1: she did she went to the block looking absolutely on point Hmm. possibly we don't know
0: no I wasn't there
1: but only three short years after giving that order to the executioner, Judge Talbot himself died, leaving Elizabeth Hardwick the title of Dowager Countess of Shrewsbury and yet another fortune to add to the others that she had already collected.
0: I like her style.
1: To celebrate, she immediately decided to build another grand country house, Hardwick New Hall, right next door to Hardwick Old Hall. Which he hadn't actually finished renovating at the time
0: I've actually been to both And um, they are very close They
1: are
0: (laughs) Pretty much uh, 100 metres or so away from each other Um, Do you know what? One is annoyingly owned by National Trust And one's owned by English Heritage Oh, for God's sake Mm, They do a little bit of a deal But Ah. it is very annoying Um, I wonder which one
1: gets more visits
0: Oh, definitely the new one, the okay. new one, because it's the most, um, it's the one that's most intact.
1: Mm.
0: Is it, it's the most uh, Elizabethan manor house that's intact with these massive windows.
1: Well, are... yeah, we will get onto the rhyme. Okay, fine. Yep. Yeah, you are right, though.
0: Yeah.
1: She could afford to build two houses simultaneously uh, because her estates actually had all the building materials she could ever need, keeping costs to a ridiculously low level. Within spitting distance, she could source sandstone, blackstone, alabaster, limestone, hardwoods and softwoods. Her estates also contained ironworks and glassworks. Amazing. In fact, the only real cost was labour. And even for the most skilled of her craftsmen, this came to only around fourteen pounds per year.
0: I mean, the thing is, she's been building for a long, long time. She probably knows Dave from down the road that will cut her a deal.
1: Mm. But she's making, we're talking, thousands of pounds a year. And even, you know, an artisanal craftsman, the best that you can get was charging 14 quid a year for his services. So it's like Mm -hmm. absolute nothing to her. She could just... In fact, she probably could have just not only just had those craftsmen when they were building, but kept them on retainer so other people couldn't have them. (laughs) She's like, well, I don't want anyone's houses to... uh, Resemble mine. So I'm just going to pay you to do nothing. Except stay with me in my house. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. This may explain why she decided in 1593 that she should start work on yet another house only 10 miles from the two Hardwick ones. This third project running simultaneously was called Old Coats.
0: Okay. It no
1: longer exists, unfortunately. I was going to say, I've not heard of that one. Now, Hardwick New Hall was completed in 1597. Everything from the turrets to the windows to the soft furnishings inside was emblazoned with the initials ES for Elizabeth Shrewsbury yep. to make it clear what was being celebrated. Her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am the... The shit. The shit, yes. I was going to say the bitch, but that's not right. I'm, you, the,
1: I'm the shite. When you look at my house, everything is labelled as me. Mm-hmm. Me. Me. <laughs> a Tudor woman who had managed to rise further through society and with more skill than any man of the period.
0: Yes, she's, she did very, very, very well by all those men dying around her.
1: She would spend a further 11 years enjoying her status as the richest woman in England after so the she's death old of Elizabeth I. Yeah. So, yeah, Elizabeth I died in 1603. Bess was still going strong. She reportedly drank beer for breakfast and kept an embroider on staff at all times so that absolutely everything that came into her house could literally have her name put on it.
0: <laughs> it's like at school when you had your um, initials or your, your, your name yeah, like sewn do, you into know, your trousers. curtains
1: would turn up and like, right, they're lovely, but I need ES all over them. Mm-hmm.
0: So did she have to retain that last name? She couldn't have like gone back to Cavendish
1: uh, well, she is known to history as Bess of Hardwick. That is yeah. how she is known. It's but, like the like Madonna. Mm. She doesn't
0: need a second name. <laughs> I'm Bess of Hardwick. Yeah,
1: and she—that's—that's that's the name history knows her for. But she was very proud of the fact that she had become Dowager Countess of Shrewsbury because that was a massive title Total. at the time, and she'd managed to to hold that in her own right for the last, uh, you know, last eleven, twelve years of her life, which is pretty impressive.
0: That is very impressive.
1: We don't know when Bess of Hardwick was born, but we do know that Elizabeth died on Saturday 13th of February, 1608, at the age of 81. She was buried under a monument that she naturally had built herself. And put initials on it. Yep. She'd also <laughs> taken the liberty of writing her very own complimentary inscription upon the monument. Both the monument and inscription can still be viewed to this day at Derby Cathedral.
0: She's done very well, hasn't she? Mm
1: although old coats was eventually demolished in the 1930s you can still visit both of the hardwick halls and of course chatsworth now home to the duke and duchess of devonshire at the cost of only 29 pounds per person it's insane isn't it Mm, i didn't think that there was a a particularly uh, big mark down for children either when i looked
0: is it like one pound
1: yeah that children can get in for 28 pounds per person Elizabeth is remembered to history by the nickname Bess of Hardwick, with the accompanying rhyme, Hardwick Hall, more glass than wall. Because apparently, unlike most people of the time, she she liked living on the top floor of her house, and she liked a lot of light. So the windows, whereas on most houses, got progressively smaller as you got up, due to it being, you know, servants' quarters and less important things at the top. In Hardwick Hall, it's inverted, and the windows get progressively larger and grander as you go up the stories, so it looks like nothing else uh, of the time. Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. She was a pioneer and they, they, they proper shove that in your face mm. <laughs> when you get there. Um, and it's really interesting when you look at the windows and they, they're just saying how the layout was just so different to any other house yeah. that was built at the time.
1: Because she was like, this is how I want it. And mm-hmm. I like, but, but fashion dictates. And she's like, no, I know fashion. I'm a fashion mm-hmm. maker, not a fashion follower. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I'm the and- Dowager Countess of Shrewsbury. God damn it. And you're just um, some bloke.
0: Have you ever been to the Hardwick Halls? I've
1: never been to any of these places, unfortunately.
0: Uh, you, honestly, they're so impressive and they're so intact as well. I know that a lot of them um, have lost their stuff over the years and they mm. buy them back and they've been found in attics and different houses and stuff. But they've got like the most intact collection of like her stuff. That was actually hers from the Tudor period, and considering that it survived the, like Oliver Cromwell and the mm. Civil War and all this kind of stuff,
1: well, it, it was probably easy to collect it all back together, even when it did get sort of um, sent out into the world because it, it also got her initials ES on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is another one of Bess's look.
0: Yes,
1: yes, yes. That's all it says. When I um, supervised
0: um, Elton Palace, like some of the stuff that would turn up would turn up in the like. Ra- like really random places like there was a the original dining table mm. um was found in a store covered in pinewood studios um and then they had like um uh, like vases and stuff that were found in like people's attics so like servants mm. that used to work there had been given these as gifts and then they were put in someone's attic like in the local community and then they were found like years and years and years later um yeah, yeah it's
1: mad yeah Madness And the source for this, this tale that has been spun today A material girl Bess of Hardwick, 1527-1608 to 1608, By Kate Hubbard Which is part of the Short life series And at only 97 pages It is the work of a single evening to read And oh, I'm, I'm looking for more of the Short life series Because it's perfect for, you know, starting your research Mm-hmm, you definitely
0: can, Although, that title I don't like the title
1: a Material Girl.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, why not? Is uh, it it just the reminds. To Madonna. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: I've just got visions of Madonna like singing and walking down the stairs, and then I've replaced it with Bess of Hardwick's head.
1: Yeah. Well, imagine Bess of Hardwick um, wearing a conical bra uh, and a head with, headset with ES yeah. written on it. Yeah, oh yeah. Of course. You know, one of the breasts would say E, and the other one would say S. <laughs> Just going around directing tradesmen and complaining about the quality of the wine.
0: Yeah, I mean, fine. She's she's definitely an impressive lady mm. for sure, and someone that rivaled
1: Queen, Elizabeth, Queen yeah.
0: Elizabeth is impressive. And apparently, they looked
1: very similar.
0: S- yes, quite similar. So they both had the 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 very pale skin and the ginger hair.
1: Um, yeah, the pictures, and... you could you could mistake them in a line-up, mm-hmm.
0: definitely. I mean, I, I have done. I've been in portrait galleries before thinking it was Queen Elizabeth, mm. and it's not.
1: And maybe that was one of the leos of Bess. She was as close as you could get to marrying Queen Elizabeth without mm. actually besmirching the Virgin Queen. Exactly. She's like Queen Elizabeth yeah. Mark II. She's not quite as rich, but she's willing to put out, which is a bonus.
0: Mm. Mm. Exactly, and she builds fabulous... Oh, yeah, you are going to
1: live in luxury. You know, if you're allowed to leave court to to visit the house that you paid for, you're going to be experiencing luxury. You just have to be very comfortable with the letters E and S.
0: (laughs) Because I am the boss of this house.
1: Yeah, I imagine that uh, when a husband eventually made it there, he was forced to put on clothes that were also embroidered with E and S. (laughs) This belongs to me. Yeah, you're you're just Um, another of my possessions hi there it's emma chief organizer at consistently eccentric here to remind you all that if you like what you hear you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on acast spotify and itunes how fancy you can also join us on instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot see you next week my God, do you know the bit that I missed as well in the mm. story? Go on. There is a direct familial line from Bess of Hardwick to Elizabeth II of England. Is there really? No so, way. playing the long game... She got there. She got there. It took possibly a few more generations. 1950, whatever it was. Mm. But you can directly trace back the family lineage...